This episode is brought to you by our affiliate Gemini. Gemini is a well-respected cryptocurrency exchange started by Cameron and Tyler Winklevoss. If you're interested in purchasing Bitcoin, Ethereum, or other altcoins, please check out their website at gemini.sjv.io backslash Moontower to learn all about it. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Moon Tower Business Podcast. This is your host, Joseph O'Bell, and today I have the pleasure of speaking to Henry Doss. Henry, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Joe. Pleasure to be here. How's it going today? Everything's zipping along. Just kind of watching the market. Uh, it's early June, and we've had a, an interesting go for the first five months of the year. Starting to try to find a base. So kind of one of the things I do is I trade the markets pretty actively. Very good. And you're located in Connecticut, is that right? I'm in, yeah, I'm in Northwest Connecticut. Very, very uh, kind of bucolic here. I have five acres on a, uh, on a dirt road, what Connecticut calls a scenic road. So if you're in Connecticut and you see a sign that says scenic road, that means it's a rutted out one lane dirt road. Okay. You probably got a lot of those in Texas too. I don't know about the, the rutted out. We get a lot of rain here. So <laughs> it's a little Absolutely. I know exactly what you're talking about. I guess before we kick off, uh, Henry, maybe you can kind of just uh, introduce yourself to listeners, maybe just talk a little bit about your background and kind of your professional uh, career. All right. So uh, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I started my first company in 1991, so that's over 30 years ago. I've had companies in the, in the tech space, in the real estate space, um, in the finance space, I had a leasing company for many years, and uh, I also um, had a factoring company. So I would buy receivables uh, at a discount, and then I was responsible for you know collecting the money. Um, so I've had a you know what I call a peripatetic career. I've had some some big successes and some ignominious failures, as I like to say. So it's been it's been a mixed bag, but on the whole, um, uh, it's been a lot of fun. That's excellent. Well, you you currently uh, advise uh, individuals and companies, um, entrepreneurs, and, and businesses uh, in your current role. And can you just talk a little bit about the, you know, kind of the folks that you work with, generally speaking? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a business coach, so I work with entrepreneurs. Generally, my sweet spot is is you know revs from from one to ten million. Um, I do have one client now that's going to probably. Um, Eclipse 20 million this year. Um, it's not so much revenue based. It's just kind of headcount, um, you know, the vertical sector that they're in. I work with a lot of different tech companies and stuff like that, which is, you know, where entrepreneurs, you know, where entrepreneurs, many entrepreneurs are being born now within the tech space because the barriers to entry are relatively low, even though sometimes the capital requirements are pretty high. And then I also wrote a book about finance. So I coach people in a personal finance as well. Right, teach people about money, how to how to um, not so much earn it, but to take what they've got and maximize it and maximize their investment. Um, and teach them how to manage stuff themselves. Yeah. And so, the entrepreneurs that you work with uh, typically do you uh, do you focus on a, a particular sector or industry, or is it kind of diverse? In, in no, I've had everything sort of- from old school brick and mortar companies to like you know super high tech, leading edge stuff. Um, you know, I call myself a bespoke coach and bespoke is a fancy word for custom. 
So what it means is I'm not selling a system, you know, like uh, there's EOS and there's other system. Vern Harnish has Rockefeller habits. There's a whole bunch of stuff and they're all very good and they're very valuable. But that's not what I do. What I My job is to sort of dive into the entrepreneur's head and figure out what makes them tick and then work the coaching around that. Um, I just find that that is, fits my skill set better. And it's also, um, it's also a better fit for the entrepreneur so they don't feel like they're being forced into following some sort of playbook, right? Sure. If you want to follow a playbook, buy a franchise. That's what I tell people. Makes sense. How do you typically connect with uh, your clients? How do you, how do you find clients? Are they, uh, do, it's, all, do you... it's all word of mouth. People find me on LinkedIn. People find me um, on other social pr- platforms, although I'm not, I'm not like a huge marketer. I suppose if I have an Achilles heel in my business, it's that I'm not just out there papering the earth with, look at me, look at me, look at me. Uh, I publish a newsletter on the on the finance side that I put out like every Sunday, referencing articles that I think people should should uh, should read. Um, my book is called FQ Financial Intelligence, so I call them FQers. FQ basically being financial intelligence, just like IQ and EQ. I thought I was very clever when I came up with that, but of course it had already been done. So, um, but I call them FQers. It's like you want to be financially intelligent, and look, you you get into entrepreneurship. Because, in my opinion, it's uh, it's the fastest um, route to achieve wealth if that's what your goal is. And here in America, um, yeah, pretty much everybody I meet is <laughs> are interested in achieving wealth, whatever that might mean. It could be monetary wealth, or it could be something else. Gotcha. So, can you kind of just maybe walk us through uh, one of your typical clients? Maybe kind of give an example of somebody that that you're coaching, that you're helping out with right now. Some of their their biggest challenges, without having to give uh, you know specific names or the name of the company or the individual, mm-hmm. just just kind of a, a rough example of, of somebody you're working with. Well, um, you know, there's there's a company that I work with that um, yeah, they're in the tech space. Um, they have an interesting scenario that I've come upon on more than one occasion. Uh, and I think a lot of your entrepreneurial listeners will relate to this. They have a, uh, a set of what I call micro clients. They're, they were early adopters of their technology. They've, they've been with them for several years. Um, they're kind of grandfathered in on, on pricing. Now, the Pricing has leveled up because as the company has grown, headcount's gone up, all the very necessary expenses have gone up. And so the issue that the entrepreneur is facing is that they haven't been able to really level up these micro clients. And there's a, there's a, there's a paradox here. It's like, well, I should raise their prices to be more commensurate with what our costs are, but I appreciate the fact that they were loyal to us and they took a chance with us when uh, we were little. Right. And that's a that's an issue that comes up more often than than you might think. And when we did the analysis, I said rather bluntly that um, you would make a considerable uh, a considerable higher margin if you just fired these clients. Right. And that's a tough thing for people who are especially early stage entrepreneurs. You want to accumulate clients. You want all the clients that you can get. Right. But you're not necessarily looking at it from a margin or a profitability standpoint, right? You just want volume. 
It's sort of like back in the old dot dot bomb days, which I lived through, where it was it wasn't a, a matter of whether we were making any money, right? That the VCs and the angels were all pouring money in through the back door. It, I just wanted eyeballs. I wanted, you know, I wanted uh, the old saying on Seventh Avenue, which is the uh, the, the the garment business uh, where my wife worked for many many years, is I lose a dollar on every garment, but I make it up on volume, right? It's an old it's an old uh, New York joke. Um, but here's where the issue came in. It's like it's like there's an emotional component to this. I don't want to be disloyal to clients who are with me from the get go. But, yeah, I see that I'm losing money on them. Right. So having to work, I had to work with them for quite a long time to get them to kind of right size these clients generally, maybe even have like a come to Jesus speech, which says, I can't charge you the legacy price that I was charging. My, my costs have gone up. But I'm not going to just throw it all at you and triple your price overnight. I'm going to create a, a stair-step system so that by time another year goes by, you'll be back to the right price level, the current price level that my other clients are paying. And you run the risk that some of them are going to bolt. And I said, well, that's not, that's not the worst thing in the world. Um, and that is a really, really tough situation because it's very emotional with, when you're a small entrepreneur, especially with clients. Who took a chance on you? And that's a problem this- I think that you can see in, in many different industries. I mean, that, that's oh, yeah. something I've seen kind of in, in, I'm an attorney. I've seen that in the legal industry. I've, I was with a firm before and that's a, a, you know, a decision you have to make at some point. Sometimes you have a smaller client that uh, is paying less and takes more in your time. And in and, and some cases you have to kind of, uh, you know, screen your clients charge more for, you know, the, the good work that you're doing. And it's sometimes it's a hard decision to make. It is, but you know, you're growing your business. So you're an attorney. You might've started at, I don't know what the rates are in Austin up here. It's uh, probably 500 an hour and up. Right. But maybe you started at 200 when you first hung up your shingle because you wanted to attract some clients. Right. And then as you, as you grow your business and add more attorneys and more staff, that, that number goes up. And now you're at $500, but you're still charging some of these legacy folks 200 bucks. But you're realizing that, hey, wait a second. If I just didn't do business with them anymore, I'd save money, right? Because I'm, I'm, losing, I'm losing money on them. And yep. this is a tough, tough thing that people face. And a lot of it goes to this mindset. You, you may still have... You're a million dollar company, but um, you know you still have the mindset of a of a startup that's just scratching by. You might be a twenty million dollar company, but you still have the mindset that you are a million dollar company, and that if that disconnect can cause all sorts of different problems. So part of my job is to be the voice of reason with people and and play the devil's advocate. So as a coach, I wear a lot of different hats. I mean, I'm, I'm a coach, I'm a mentor, I'm a cheerleader. Uh, sometimes I'm a therapist, even though my contract says, uh, if you need a therapist, hire a therapist, right? Because I, I don't have any, any initials after my name. I'm not a psychologist or a, or a psychiatrist, but yet there are elements of that that come into all relationships. So you, you have uh, started multiple businesses in your career and, you know, um, had to deal with challenges, I'm sure, along the way. Oh, yeah. Um, so what are some of the kind of the, the big hurdles or challenges that you faced in your career as an entrepreneur and, and, and growing your businesses that, uh, that you can kind of look to as an example that, that you're seeing with some of your clients uh, that you can, can take from your lessons learned and, and show or, or uh, advise your clients on? 
Well, one of the things that I that I tell people, and I've said this on many a podcast, but I'll say it again here, is that um, there are really only two things that you need to be able to manage to run a successful business pretty much in anything. Uh, you need to manage gross margin and you need to manage your cash flow. Uh, if you're analyzing a business, if you just have it down on paper, you can look at that and say, okay, I've got this idea for a business. But before you spend a nickel on starting that business up, you can do a paper analysis to say, okay, what are these numbers going to work? Right. Uh, I've said uh, trillions of dollars have been saved by people not executing dumbass ideas, including myself. In fact, if you go on my, on my website, which is DAS knowledge, D-A-A-S knowledge, you'll find in there somewhere, I have a bunch of little PDFs that I've written over the years. And one of them I wrote is called five reasons that small businesses fail. And, um, the number one reason is your idea sucks. <laughs> it's just as simple as that. Don't execute ideas that suck. And it's a classic conundrum that, that people have is they, um, they fall in love with the idea. I really want to do this business. And then they make the mistake of actually doing it. Right. Right. I mean, I even, I even did that. I was in the home theater business for about 10 years. Uh, great business. Fun. Uh, a lot of cool tech, but as a business, it sucked. It was all probably the worst business that, that I ever had because there were so many contingent liabilities and the systems. And, and I mean, future liabilities, right? Um, you know, people would do something and break the system. And then I have to roll a truck to have somebody go fix it. And am I going to send them a bill for a thousand bucks? probably not. I end up eating that cost because I'm working on a referral basis. I want them to refer me to people. Again, we fall into that, that trap of marketing colliding with um, the practicalities of operating a business. Makes sense. Um, so for your, the clients that you deal with um, currently, what level of experience are you seeing that they have? Is it, is it folks that are just kind of uh, the broad spectrum, you know, folks that are just getting started with a startup, People that are serial entrepreneurs, uh, seasoned veterans. Is it kind of a mix? What What do you think? It's, it's a mix. I don't really work too much with startups because um, the costs involved. Sure. You know? So you know, we'll, for, but based on on what I charge, even I can say I I can't justify it based on your numbers. Now, if you're a funded startup, that's different. You know, if somebody walked in with a bag of money, um, sure. First thing you should do is hire a coach, an advisor, whatever it might be, uh, because you're going to be in a, a, like a deer in the headlights if you've never run a business. You know, I use the um, I use a football analogy. People hate sports analogies, but it's really apt. I think the most difficult position to play in any sport on planet Earth is quarterback in the NFL. Now, people argue boxers are, are, are being number one, and you know maybe that's true. Um, but if you think about it as a rookie quarterback, right, you got drafted number one, you've got super high expectations, you get paid a lot of money, you're getting paid more than veterans, and they put you in a game and there are gigantic men trying to take your head off while you're trying to, you know, connect a pass with a guy who runs a 4-3-40, right? I mean, it's just insane to think about that. And that's what you are as an entrepreneur. A lot of moving parts, a lot of levers. And then what happens is... The game slows down, right? Once you get a little bit of experience, I won't say that it's rinse and repeat, 
but you'll start seeing things that you've seen before. You know, I've been in business for over 30 years and it's, I don't, I don't say this to be braggadocious, but it's very rare that a client will bring up something with me that I haven't at least rubbed up against a little bit over the years. Sure. Um, that's called experience, right? So that is another part of the coaching relationship that I can bring to someone who's maybe 25 years my junior. They just haven't seen it, right? It's the same thing with um, the financial coaching that I do. Now, I've lived through the crash of 87, um, the dot bomb, myriad recessions, the Great Recession, which was practically a depression. So I've seen catastrophic declines where if you're 30 years old now, Right. Or maybe you're trading crypto or something like that, which not too long ago was at 50 grand and now it's down to 30. So you've taken a 40% haircut in a very short period of time. That can knock people off their game. That can actually take people out of the game. And I know people who have, who, who fancied themselves as traders and then they took sort of the bad beat to be all, to, to end all bad beats and they never got back in the game. Um, my dad was one of them when he started his first entrepreneurial business um, when I was a baby. And I remember him telling me they lost $15,000. It was 1960. $15,000 was a year's wages. And they lost that in their first year in business, him and my uncle Murray, and they closed up shop and they never did it. And they never went back. He wow. went and worked for someone else and never attempted to be an entrepreneur again. And that's very common because it's hard. Do you work with any uh, cryptocurrency? Like you mentioned, cryptocurrency, it's, it's kind of a growing industry. Do you work with any entrepreneurs in the, uh, with a cryptocurrency company? And generally, what do you think about uh, the cryptocurrency space today? I, um, I, I, until recently, I was running a couple of different mastermind groups. And, and one of them had a bunch of guys who were, who were um, you know, crypto traders um, and crypto investors. Um, I just read Paul Krugman in um, New York Times today. You know that he's a Nobel Prize winning uh, economist who writes a, a column. He calls it a scam, and and other people like Warren Buffett and such have called it a, a, a scam. I wouldn't go so far to say that. Here. Yeah, Warren Buffett called it a, a rat poison. Yeah, I like Warren Buffett. Um, he doesn't mince any words, and uh, and I and I appreciate that, and I applaud that. Um, when it comes to investing, um, I, I simplify it even even more so. Um, don't invest in stuff you don't understand. Really Pretty good advice. As, really, just as simple as that. I'm not the first one who's given that piece of advice. I've heard that advice, you know, for the last several decades. Right. Just just stay away. There are so many things that you can invest in and people fall into this, you know, FOMO, right? The fear of missing out. All these crypto bros, they've made so much money. You know, why am I the schmuck? Right. Right. Even my son, my oldest son says, you know, I could have bought this back in 2009 for, you know, for a couple cents. And now it's worth you know 50,000. And I said, Sure, but you think you would have held on to it for fifty thousand, or you think you would have sold it when it got to like three dollars, right, and made yourself a nice little profit? Yeah, I, I, per, been, I personally invest in Bitcoin regularly, but I've spent a lot of time understanding the technology and mm -hmm. and speaking to people in the space, reading books. So, like you said, I mean, I I feel like I I, mean, I don't feel like I understand it completely, but 
I feel like I have a well enough understanding to put a certain percentage of my money into it. And yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet the farm on it. Right. Uh, I had put some money in a trade station account with the, uh, this was probably over a year ago um, with the express purpose of, of dabbling with a little bit of crypto, but I just never did. I just, I, I'm, I'm too busy um, investing and trading in the stuff that I know, which is equities and options that I just didn't really have the space. And then people are coming to me with the NFTs and the this and the that. And it's like, I don't understand that either. Uh, one guy explained it to me. He said, look, think about crypto like gold, right? It's a store. It's a store of value. Basically, it's basically what it is. It's a store of value, just like gold is a store of value. But from a fungibility standpoint, you know, and I, I, ha- I own physical gold. I have gold coins that my dad was a real gold bug. So I inherited those from him. Um, and they're nice. They're, you know, one troy ounce gold coins. Uh, I plan to just give them away to people as like gifts and stuff as I get older. Um, he loved the stuff, but I look at it and I say, well, it doesn't pay a dividend, right? Right. The price has been basically trading sideways. It's about 1800 now. Um, but it's essentially traded sideways for years and years and years. And if I do, if I do want to use it for anything, I can't just walk into Walmart and say, you know, here's a, here's, here's here's a, a bar of gold. Here's a Krugerrand. You know, uh, let me buy this, uh, you know, whatever I want to buy. Right. I can't pay. I can't pay for my prescriptions. And it's the same thing with with crypto. I mean, one of the promises was that it was actually going to be fungible, which basically means that it perform. I could use it to perform. Um, But that hasn't really happened as of yet. Yeah, there's certain places where that will We'll um we'll take it as legal tender, but for the most part, no, they haven't really made a lot of inroads in terms of turning it into a uh, the equivalent of a fiat currency. And most people will tell you that well, it really isn't a fiat currency. I mean, it's not kind of it's not really what it was designed to be, which leads me right back to gold, right? So if you like gold and you like stores of value. Uh, and everybody that I've talked to who's really committed to crypto is saying, well, I'm in this for the long term, right? Right. Uh, one of the other things that I wrote, I think it's on my website somewhere, which is, um, you know, dumbass mistakes that rookie investors make. Because somebody asked me about it once because I made a comment on a podcast probably like two years ago. And so I wrote a little thing. I just started racking my brain a little. And I think, and I just kept coming up with more and more. And one that one of the common ones that I see a lot and this applies to entrepreneurs as well as people who are traders or investors, is, is turning a short-term trade into a long-term investment. I mean, how many times have you heard from somebody, right? I, I, I bought this thing, right? Thinking that I was going to make a quick profit. And then what happened is it went against them, and now they're underwater. Ah, don't worry about it. It's a long-term investment. They just reclassified the time frame in their mind to justify the fact that maybe they made a mistake, right. right? Where if you deal with a professional trader, that never even comes into play. You know, you build a trade plan and it says, I'm willing to lose five grand on this trade, but I'm looking to exit at a Forex at a, at a 20 grand, right? I'm just making up numbers. Yeah. I'm looking at a Forex trade. My potential upside is 
20, my potential downside is five. And I set my parameters and there's all sorts of um, things that you can use with um, good to cancel orders, or you can use options, or you can do lots of different things to protect you, to collar your trade. And then you let it ride. You let it run and you see what happens. And you don't, you sort of take the impulsiveness out of that decision-making process, right? Where other people will say, "Oh, buy it." I mean, I'm, I'm I'm coaching somebody new right now who who just changed companies. He's in the he's a real estate agent, changed to a different real estate company. He's really bullish on this real estate company. Wants to buy their stock. Wants to invest in their their stock dividend program that they have. And I've been pressing him. I'm I'm like, you have to give me a reason why you want to buy this, and what what's your time frame? This is tough for people who've ne- never traded before. Well, I really just like the company. Okay. <laughs> that sounds sounds like the, uh, the, uh, the meme stock investors. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I really like, or I really hate this company. I want to go short. Uh, I said, no, no, no. We have to, we got to look at this. And, and where are we putting? Are we putting this in a retirement plan where we have more latitude as far as time goes? Or are we going to do this in a cash account? Are, do you, are you looking to hold this for, for a swing trade or a position trade, a short-term thing? Or do you really think you're going to put it in your IRA and it's going to be there 30 years from now? That's, you know, that the, the old school, you know, widows and orphans pack it away and never look at it kind of a thing. I mean, people do it, but I don't think that's how you're really going to be successful as an investor. I'm going to buy Apple stock, put it in my eye or my kid's IRA at, you know, 10 years old or my kid's ugma fund at 10 years old and never touch it because some things will arise in life and you'll look around and you'll say i need some money and i got this thing sitting there and yeah i need to get out and i guarantee you that the time you want to get out is when this thing's not performing because that happens all the time but anyway absolutely so switching gears a little bit uh you talked earlier a little bit about the uh book you wrote financial intelligence Mm -hmm. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about that you know kind of what inspired you to write the book and and who's the target audience for that uh for that book so i I wrote the i actually wrote it as a course i was at a i was at a conference in bangkok and i i my clientele is very international i've got folks you know all kind of all over the world and a bunch of them happened to be at this conference. So I said, you know, let's go. We'll have, I'll, I'll treat them to dinner. And one of the days is a mastermind where you sit at, you know, you have a giant ballroom and people sit at different tables. And I was at a table with coaches and we were talking about our, you know, our Jim Collins BHAG, our big, hairy, audacious goal. And I said, I really wanted to write something, you know, a course to teach people my philosophy on managing money after, you know, 40 years of, of, of doing it. And so I got inspired and I came home and I wrote it. I wrote this course, about 100,000 words, 18 modules. And then I tested it with, a do- I got a dozen volunteers and I tested the material. And then I added another 20,000 words to it. They said, well, could you cover this? Could you cut, co-? like somebody mentioned something called flag theory. I'd never heard of flag, flag theory. Uh, and flag theory is this concept that you should live in one country work in a second country and bank in a third country. It's a tax avoidance strategy, basically. And people do it. And there are sites out there that'll teach you how to do flag theory if you're one of those people who just doesn't believe that you should ever pay tax. Right? I don't happen to be one of them. I think if you live on this planet and you drive on roads and you use hospitals and police, 
that you're obligated to contribute. But that's a you know, story for another day. But I said, you know what? It's a little highway and byway. Let me, let me cover it. And then what happened was uh, a few people, just as I was about to launch, a few people said, you should turn this into a book. That'll be your lead magnet. And so that was a huge, huge, huge undertaking to convert it to a book. Huge, huge. Had to hire a copy editor, uh, uh, hire a designer. I wanted to self-publish it. I wanted it to be very professional. So um, that's how it all came about. Right? Did you ultimately self-publish, or did you get a publisher? I didn't know. I know. I did. I did self-publish. Uh, I did self-publish. And every once in a while, somebody buys the book. I think it's either nineteen ninety nine or twenty four ninety nine on Amazon and on Book Baby. And then I get a check for three dollars and forty three cents. I just got one the other day. Pretty funny. I actually give the book away for free. So if you go to the Das Knowledge site or if you go to henrydas.com, right there on the page, you can download it um, for free. You know, you'll get added into my funnel because I, you're just, just not a money-making venture. Unless your name is Stephen King or J.K. Rowling, it's just not a money-making venture. There are something like 2 million new books that get, that get published every year. So unless you're going to spend thousands of dollars to market it, you're just, you're just not going to be found, just how it is. Um, but I want people to read it because it's a monster of a book. It's 432 pages. Um, it's a big book that covers everything that I thought people should know pretty much from the day they're born till the day they die, at least American. It's American centric, although I do cover some stuff that's international. Uh, there's a lot of universality to it. And I cover stocks and bonds and, and social security. I mean, you name it, I covered folks can buy that on Amazon and they can, they can get it on your website as well. Yeah. They can get it on my website for free or if you got $20 burning a hole in your pocket and you want to send it, <laughs> you want to give Jeff Bezos a few more bucks, go on Amazon and buy it. Yeah, no worries. Nice. So uh, before we kicked off, you said you were, you were taking a look at the, uh, the market, see what's going on today. What it was your take on what's going on with the, with the stock market today? I mean, kind of just in the past few weeks. Well, let's see. It's, uh, today is June 7th, and we've basically had, at least on the NASDAQ, almost a 25% decline on the NASDAQ. I own a lot of tech stocks, always have. I've made healthy profits on it, and I've given a whole bunch of that back. Uh, right now, the market's just, it's just trying to find its feet. It's kind of interesting. There's an old saying on Wall Street, uh, sell in May and go away, right? Which is the idea that, that markets essentially trade from October to May, and the summer's usually you know, a doldrum time. I think this could be a very interesting summer. Again, the the, uh, the market is is uh, finding support um, right now. Still trying to still trying to figure stuff out in terms of the direction. There are a lot of headwinds, you know, the war in Ukraine and uh, um, inflation here, and the price of oil, and all of these, you know, all these crazy things that are going on around the globe. The disruption to the supply chain, the pandemic. I had I got COVID on May first. So, you know, been there, done that. Somehow I went 26 months. I even went to Africa, Mexico, traveled all through COVID. 26 months I went without contracting it. And I'm here in Connecticut for like two weeks <laughs> and I get COVID. Um, it's pretty funny. And I took the, uh, the Paxlovid uh, as I'm eligible because I'm almost 63 years old. And hey, it was four days of coughing. And otherwise I got on with my life. Um, 
Fundamentally, though, the economy is sound, in my opinion. I'm just one guy. Um, I don't see a, a, um, you know, a, a black swan event looming. Uh, certainly not in, in the market. This has been a very orderly decline as opposed to you know, crashes we've seen in the past. This has just been an, an orderly meltdown, which is really what you want from a market. Um, and if you're a trader with the volatility going up, it's actually a very good time to make some money. Right. So uh, obviously, without giving any financial advice, is there anything that you're uh, feeling bullish about right now in the stock market or any just asset class at this point? Um, I think there are definitely some bargains out there in the tech space. Um, I see, I see Apple trading at traded as low as one forty one, and I, for full disclosure, I own Apple. I have for a long time. My first business was as an Apple dealer. Um. Yeah, at a $150 price point, uh, that's pretty good. Amazon did a 20-for-1 split, which, of course, is just window dressing. Again, Warren Buffett is like, I'm, I'm not going to split Berkshire Hathaway. It's, it's dumb. Um, Has that Amazon split already taken place, or is it about to happen? Yesterday, yep. Okay. No, it just happened. So, Because um, I, I woke up, and I'm like, why is that all screwy? And then I said, oh, <laughs> it's because they did the 20-to-1 split. Yeah, so Amazon's at 122 as opposed to being at, you know, 2500 or, you know, whatever it was trading at. Again, it's they, they you know, they multiply the flow times 20. So as far as the world is concerned, nothing's really changed. But for a, you know, a small investor who may be intimidated by spending $2,500 a share, hey, I can spend 122 bucks a share. Yep. Why not? Um, so that's on the tech side. Um, Look, if you're looking for um, if you're looking for safety, look what's happened in the energy space. I mean, I've been out of the oil patch and I've traded it, you know, on and off over the years. But I, I kind of decided a few years ago when it just really occurred to me how bad the the um, you know climate change is and how we really, really, really have to incent ourselves to get off of fossil fuels. That I just kind of turned away from the oil patch. Well, it's it's been on fire for the last you know, year or so. And this year, I think it's up almost 50%. And somebody asked me the other day, do you feel bad? Do you feel like you missed the boat on that? I'm like, no, no, I made a conscious decision that I didn't want to trade in that space. And I didn't. Long-term, you think that's going to go away with the, the growing, uh, what we're seeing, you know, more and more electric vehicles being produced? I just, I just actually sold two cars and bought a kind of a classic car. Um, so I have to, so I went from four cars down to three. First time in my life, I only own American cars. I got two Chevys and a Jeep, and I awesome. sold my I sold my two German cars. Um, but the next vehicle will be electric, without without a doubt. Um, but because I live on the on the scenic road, I kind of need a truck. So yep. I'm keeping my eye on this. Um, somebody was saying the Rivian. I'm like, eh, you know, the little they're a little too new. I'm looking at the uh, the Ford Lightning, the F-150 Lightning, and the Silverado. Yep. Um, again, they're brandy new, and I think they're they're kind of back ordered and stuff. So I'm going to wait a year, but it's absolutely the future. I think we have to within. I think the UK has already agreed that by 2040 they will be 100% electric. At least that's 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 their goal. We have to move in that direction. We have to stop ripping the planet open, sucking all the this dead plant material out and burning it and putting it into the air. 
I know there are climate deniers. I know there are people who are like, ah, it's all exaggerated, but I've got eyes, right? Yep. And it's, you know, it, it doesn't take a high level of education to recognize that uh, we are seriously damaging this planet. And yes, at my age, I'm, I'm not going to live long enough that, it, that the polar ice caps are going to melt. That's not going to happen. I could very easily make a, an excuse that says, I don't have to do anything, right? But I want to do the right thing. I got children and I got unborn grandchildren and I want to leave. I'd like to think, as my mom used to say, you're going to be dead a really long time. And I like to be thinking when I'm dead that I left the world a little better than I found it. Right? I mean, pretty good. It's a good way of thinking of things. Absolutely. Um, Henry, before we wrap up here, um, do you have any closing thoughts or anything else you'd like to share with listeners about the services that you offer and the things that you're involved in? Well, uh, you know, uh, I sell via strategy session. So if you go to the dosknowledge.com page and you click at the top says get my help, you can sign up for a free strategy session with me. It doesn't cost anything other than the time it takes. I'm happy to talk to you about business coaching or financial coaching or, or anything really. It's um, it's tough being an entrepreneur. I don't need to tell people that, right? That's why there are so few people that do it. You you are working without a net. You know, you don't work, you don't eat, right? As I've often said, an empty belly is a great motivator. And I've been doing it for a long, long time, working without a net. And I've had a lot of ups and I've had a lot of downs. You're you're going to see that every day is not going to be you know, sunshine and puppy dogs and moonbeams. It's just not going to be. Um, Cultivating some trusted folks that you can lean on. People, there are a lot of um, entrepreneurs who are like, I don't don't need the help. They they just want to slug it out. Um, You know, they think it's a sign of weakness to go out and hire a coach. And I'm here to tell you, get over that, right? It took me 10 years before I first, hired my first coach and that's going back to the 90s and i and the first thing i thought after i started working with him was why didn't i do this sooner yep that's it awesome well henry thank you so much for coming on the podcast and uh you know sharing uh with listeners a little about your story and the things you're working on uh appreciate it and uh i hope you have a great day and hopefully hopefully you can have you get on the podcast sometime it was my pleasure anytime you want to talk again you know where to find me Sounds good. This episode is brought to you by our affiliate, Gemini. Gemini is a well-respected cryptocurrency exchange started by Cameron and Tyler Winklevoss. If you're interested in purchasing Bitcoin, Ethereum, or other altcoins, please check out their website at gemini.sjv.io backslash Moontower to learn all about it. Thank you.